0: All right, let me pray for us as we come to God's word tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together around your word. We thank you for the freedoms we have to do this. We pray tonight that your word will work in us. Please shape us and change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jack is back. Jack is back. That's what the TV ads were saying last summer. And I didn't know he was missing. I don't know if you you saw those ads and wondered what it was about, but for Heather and I, it started a sort of binge TV year for us, a really weird year where we watched 181 episodes of 24, 181 from January to now. That's quite an achievement. We didn't watch anything else all year until last week, and we took a deep breath and were glad that we were finished, I must say. It's a frantic story if you've never seen it. It's just crazy, episode after episode, poor Jack fighting for truth and justice against terrorism, almost dies, almost gives his life up somehow comes through. Uh, it's relentless, actually. You get to the end of the episode and you just have to see, did he survive this time? And on and on and on it goes. Uh, by the end, you're cheering for him as a hero, but then you're starting to wonder about the guy because he starts to turn into a kind of like a god. Who knows what justice is? Only Jack Bauer. No one else seems to get it right. Everyone else is a traitor, but not Jack Bauer. He becomes judge, jury, and executioner. Has anyone seen 24? Am I just talking about a show that no one knows? A handful of people know 24. Very good. Well, he starts to play God. Justice comes at any cost. As we read uh, 1 Samuel today, the pace, it's fast-paced. It's much like an episode of 24. It just keeps coming at you. And in this fast-paced story it's like David. David has to decide what will he do with the circumstances that are presented to him. Over and over and over again, King Saul is trying to kill him. What will David do? That's what we're looking at tonight. Now, to set it up for you, you needed to sort of see episode 23, chapter 23. Uh, That was during the week, so you may have missed it. Let me give you the recap. Uh, During the week, David... Uh, was chased by King Saul around a mountaintop. It finished this way. He and his 600 men were running one way, Saul and his 3,000 the other way. Somehow around this mountaintop, David managed to escape. It was all very exciting. That's where we end up today in uh, episode 24. And so we're, we're having a look to see, just like Jack Bauer, how will David respond to the adversity in his life and what will he do when he has an opportunity to play God? So episode 24, take a deep breath. Let's get into it. In episode 24, it's total darkness. So it's black. The scene begins that way with 600 men in the back of a cave, just hiding, holding their breaths. David and his uh, little crack group of men. Saul has his troops outside looking for him, hunting them down so they dare not breathe. They're as quiet as they can be. And then as they huddle there, there's disaster. This tall man walks into the cave, just a shadow, purposefully. If he spots David, it's all over. Three thousand men will converge and kill the lot of them. But then the man begins to relieve himself. Hmm. Of all the caves in all the world, King Saul decides to make David's hiding place his bathroom. You, You want to laugh, right? Except it's very serious. Five to one odds. They have to hold their breath. They have to be quiet. But David's men think this is a gift horse. We've got to take him out. So verse four, Open your book. Make sure you've got your Bibles, by the way, because we're skimming through this. Verse 4. Look, this is the day the Lord told you about, they say. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Now, I don't recall David being told that by God. But his men certainly think that God said that. And this is the situation they think God has given them. But not David. David secretly, quietly creeps up behind Saul and just cuts the corner of his robe off. Now we say, what are you doing there? What's wrong with you, David? Jack Bauer would have crept up behind him and killed him without any second thought. But what is David doing? Is he a wuss? Well, verse six, he's not a wuss. Verse six, he says to his men, I swear before the Lord, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. But incredibly, David felt guilty. He felt guilty for cutting off that little piece of cloth, a little piece of royal clothing. Uh, it's pretty ironic because if you've been following the story, the royal family have been handing over their clothes and their armor and everything they've been trying to give them to David all the way along. This time he feels guilty about this is a tiny little piece of cloth. Well, Saul, he heads out. He has no idea. He feels relieved, heads out of the cave. He's not dead. He doesn't know he could have been dead. Off he goes to kill David. Now, David, he could have just stayed there, nice and quiet. That would have been the sensible thing to do, back of the cave, in the dark with those men, and they escaped. But instead, he takes this huge risk. He calls out, and it's wonder his men didn't go up behind him at this point and just sort of bang him on the back of the head or something. Verse 9, he calls out to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the people who say, look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you. And I said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the corner of my robe. He's flapping it about for your robe for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Look and recognize that there's no evil or rebellion in me. I haven't sinned against you even though you are hunting me down to take my life. And verse 15, he concludes, may the Lord be judge and decide between you and me. May he take notice. May he plead my case and deliver me from you. See, David won't be Jack Bauer. He won't make himself judge, jury, executioner. He won't play God. And Saul's quite struck by this, isn't he? Verse 17, Saul calls out, you are more righteous than I, for you have done what is good to me, though I've done what is evil to you. You yourself have told me today what good you did for me. When the Lord handed me over to you, you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord repay you with good for what you've done for me today. See, Saul is struck by this incredible behavior of David. It's righteous behavior. If David had been in there relieving himself and Saul was in the back of the cave, well, David would be dead, quite frankly. And so we have this amazing moment right now where the king of Israel admits that David will replace him. So verse 20, now I know for certain you will be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. He doesn't offer to step down at this point, mind you, and he, uh, he just goes on to plead for his family after he's gone, but he recognizes that this is the Lord's anointed, the next king. So episode 24, it's like the rest of the episodes in all of the 20s as we've gone along, it's David versus Saul. And David is the hero, but it's not because David will do what no one else will do. He won't go and kill Saul, he'll do the opposite. He won't kill him when everyone else says it's the sensible thing to do. Why wouldn't you? He lets Saul live. And it's all because he thinks God is judge, not him. Now doesn't he remind you of Jesus and his teaching at this point? Everyone loves Jesus teaching about, on the Sermon on the Mount, about being peacemakers and loving your neighbor as yourself. We love that kind of thing, don't we? People forget that Jesus also taught, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus is quite radical at this point, isn't he? Disciples of Jesus are called to go beyond what the sensible people say. Here's your chance to get rid of your enemy. No, no, no. Pray for your enemy. Love your enemy. The idea is that we should restore our enemy to their father, to their creator. Why should we do such a silly thing? Well, of course, it's because of what Jesus did, isn't it? When we were Jesus' enemies, he died for us. It'd be just like doing what Jesus did. So David is being radical amongst his peers But jesus is kind of off the wall with his advice love your enemies there's a challenge there for us and i don't know if you have any enemies people you'd call enemies but it's a challenge isn't it love your enemy think about isis can you pray for isis can you pray for those people it's easy to pray for the christians suffering persecution can you pray for your enemy in a sense we shouldn't actually even have enemies here we are, Jesus' representatives, we're actually peacemakers. We're here to reconcile people with their God. Now, it's a hard thing to do, and if you're like me, it's hard to get rid of grudges. It's hard when people don't like you. You're tempted to not like them. Uh, if you want to uh, get some instruction in this, as Christians, John Lennox is excellent at this. I don't know if you've seen him when he came to town recently, or if you've watched him on YouTube or something, but he is excellent at debating people who obviously don't like him, actually quite hate him. Uh, Watch him for some examples of how you love your enemy, how you speak kindly and lovingly. And what many people don't realize is that behind the scenes, he doesn't just do that. John Lennox has asked his church to pray for him. Whenever he goes off around the world speaking, he asks his church, pray for me that I am godly, pray for the person I'm with that they might become a Christian. There's an example of what Christians are called to. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, David loved his enemy at this point, And episode 24 fades down to black again. But we'll keep watching. We're binge watching this series. The opening scene of the next one is a shock straight away. Verse 1, Samuel died. We get the information. That we know Samuel's a hero. We've been working our way through him with him. Israel mourned and we expect an episode focused on Samuel. But no, verse 2, it's straight into the action again. So episode 25, where are we? David's down the south in the wilderness of Paran. There's a rich local man called Nabal, married to Abigail. Now, Nabal is a harsh man. He lived uh, up to his name, apparently. His name meant fool, and so he lived up to his name. But Abigail is beautiful and intelligent. And the ladies all think, isn't this a standard marriage? Foolish man, lovely, beautiful woman. David's men, well, they've been providing protection for for Nabal and his flocks, not officially at all, but they've been hanging around and so they're keeping the peace in the region and those on the ground, the shepherds, they all know that this is true. And so on feast day, David thinks, well, I'll approach Nabal, maybe as a good neighborly gesture, he'll give me some food for our feast. It wasn't standover tactics, he wasn't forcing him to, but Nabal, look what he says, he plays it really cool towards David. Verse 10, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take my bread and my water and my meat that I butchered for my shearers and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. Uh, His insincerity is kind of dripping from his lips at this point. People are singing songs about David who's killed tens of thousands and he doesn't know who David is. Yeah, right. Well, news gets back to David and David promptly loses it. Now, this is surprising because David has been so righteous. But verse 13, David says, all of you, get your swords, let's go. He wants to fight. Now, Abigail, she's smart and clever. She knows that her husband is silly. And so behind the scenes, she works to, to a resolution. She rallies the servants behind her husband's back and takes out all this food out to the men. As she does, David's still ranting away. So verse 21, David's calling out, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing he was not missing anything yet he paid me back evil for good may God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his men survive until morning well he's ranting and Abigail enters verse 25 she says my lord should pay no attention to this worthless man Nabal for he lives up to his name Now, wives, please do not go around telling other people that your husband is worthless and lives up to his name. Bad marriage advice. Verse 28, she says, "'Please forgive your servant's offense, "'for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, "'because he fights the Lord's battles. "'Throughout your life may evil not be found in you.'" Now, she's clever, isn't she? She's buttering him up. What is she trying to achieve? Well, she goes on, verse 30, "'When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised.'" and appoints you ruler of Israel, there will not be remorse or troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember your servant. Now this is really clever, isn't it? She is clever. She's sort of saying to David, wake up, David. Don't do this rash, ungodly, murderous thing. You are the anointed. Don't have blood on your hands. I mean, she's getting everyone off the hook as she does it. She says, didn't you just trust Saul? Uh, just trust God to judge Saul in the last chapter? Didn't you just say that he is the judge? Well, trust God to judge. Don't take judgment into your own hands this time. It's kind of like the slap in the face. David, for his part, immediately knows. He's humble in his response. Verse 32, he says, "'Praise to the Lord God of Israel, who sent you to me today. "'Your discernment is blessed, and you are blessed.'" Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Now, Abigail is clever. Uh, She's also beautiful, so David quite liked having her come. She saved many lives along the way, though. Now, we don't know if she loves her husband as well, or she just knows that he's a fool and she's trying to save as many as possible. But in the end, she she calls upon David to trust God in this situation, just as she has to trust God with this spouse. Well, under God, Nabal hears about the disaster that Abigail averted and slowly he dies, 10 days or so in a slow seizure that leads to his death. In the end, David's restraint because of Abigail is vindicated and Abigail is is remembered. Uh, If you have a look there in the text, David doesn't just remember her, he marries her. So it's worked out well for both of them. Of course, David hasn't come across shiny and smelling like roses in this episode, David's made a few mistakes here. He got fired up at that, at that little uh, story with Nabal. And then in the end, he goes on and just marries another woman too, out of the blue. This righteous king, this anointed one. And you have to wonder, what's going on with David? We thought that he was so great just last, cha- last chapter. Well, I think it stands in contrast. There's actually a chapter that's there to remind us that we shouldn't be hero-worshipping David at this point. David is the anointed He is the next king. He is someone great, but he's still a human. He still sins. He's still as flawed as us. He makes mistakes. He's dependent upon God. He is not God in his own right. He is a sinner. The saying there, but for the grace of God go I, it's true. We could be just like him and he can sin too. And you can tell when Christians start to sin, can't you? You can tell when Christians start to go off track, when like David, they make mistakes when they won't listen to God's word, you can tell because they're simply unwilling to hear what God has to say. Uh, When people warn them they have a blind spot, they don't want to hear. Uh, This humility that David shows, when Christians don't show this kind of humility, when an Abigail comes along, you know things are not going well. So it's a warning here. When we read the Bible, when we listen to sermons, we listen with sinful ears. You've got to be aware of that. And as you listen... Don't think this doesn't apply to me. Don't think, oh, I'm an exception to this situation. Make sure you're humble like David. So if someone comes along like an Abigail and says to you, well, what are you doing chasing that person, that romantic interest, that person that you've always thought would be great to go out with, but they're not even a Christian. Don't do it. If you do that, you're foolish. You're being like David. You're not listening to an Abigail. Or when someone says to you, actually, you are such a harsh person to your wife or a harsh person to your husband. Well, if you don't listen, if you say that's none of your business, you're being like David was to start with. You need to be humble and listen. If you hear someone say to you, you are just unkind to people. You know, you're a Christian, you're so unkind. And you say, no, 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 that's not true. People around me are always picking on me. It's about me and not about you. Well, you know that that person's off track and have stopped listening to God's word. If someone says to you, why are you so protective of your money and of your time and of all that you have to give? You just won't give to your church and to your church family. Well, you know, if that person fires up, if they're like David, they pull out their sword and say, no, it's not true. Then they're not prepared to listen. Like David, we fire up. We're all sinners. None of us are heroes. And we need Abigail's, don't we? We need Abigail's to remind us that we're going off track. It all depends on how you respond, though. Will you humble yourself? David's David's response is very humbling. Well, episode 25 fades to black. Episode 26. In episode 26, Saul again, delivered into David's hands. You think, wait a minute, this is a repeat. They're re-showing it. It's channel 9. They're re-showing the episode we always saw. Well, this time it's a different episode, but will he do it this time? It's the Ziphites that caused the troubles this time. They're out scoping around, looking for an opportunity to kind of get in with King Saul. And they find where David is and report it to Saul. But David has his own spies out there. He knows where Saul is camped. And so he creeps up on the camp and makes this ridiculous suggestion. He says in verse six, who will go with me into the camp of Saul? Uh, David's crazy, back into the lion's den. But Abishai of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, let's say it like that, apparently he has a death wish he's willing to go so let's go let's go to the camp of Saul and verse 7 that night David and Abishai they came to the troops and Saul was lying there asleep in the inner circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head Saul loves his spear if you've noticed he's always got his spear with him and he's always throwing it at someone and he usually misses (laughs) Abner and the troops were lying around with him or lying around him This time, Abishai, he says what was said before. Today, God has handed your enemy over to you. Let me thrust the spear through him into the ground just once. I won't have to strike twice. He's having a go at Saul. Saul's always missing and can't seem to kill anyone, not Abishai. Give me that that spear and he'll show you how it works. But once again, David, he doesn't consider Saul his enemy. Look what he says. Verse 9, must have been in a whisper. He's in the middle of the camp. Don't destroy him. For who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be blameless? And Then David adds, As the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly strike him down. Either his day will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. However, because of the Lord, I will never lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. He says the same thing, basically, that he said before. Instead, David takes Saul's spear and his water jug, and he goes off to safety. Now I reckon by this point he needs like a truck to carry all the gear that he's got from the royal family. Here's another two things. He gets to safety in verse 15. He calls out, Abner. Abner's supposed to be protecting the camp. You're a man, aren't you? Who in Israel is your equal? So why didn't you protect the Lord your king when one of the people came to destroy him? What you've done is not good. As the Lord lives, all of you deserve to die since you didn't protect your Lord. The Lord's anointed. Now look around. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were by his head? And and triumphantly, I'm sure he's holding it up above his head. You can imagine him there as he comes to verse 18. Why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Yet again, Saul is struck. He could have died at at that camp. I have sinned, he says. Come back, my son David. I will never harm you again because today you considered my life Precious. I'm sure David's thinking, yeah, right, I do not trust you. Saul says, I've been a fool. I've committed a grave error. Then, just like in uh, episode 24, David shows that he trusts God in all of this. He says it to Saul, and he's kind of digging it in at this point. Verse 23 May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his loyalty. I wasn't willing to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed, even though the Lord handed you over to me today. Just as I considered your life valuable today, so may the Lord consider my life valuable and rescue me from all trouble. Now, here we have it. The, the basic situation has been David versus Saul over and over again, and it is again. But this time he's saying, when God judges, he will show who is the righteous one of the two of us. Now, of course, we've just seen that David isn't actually righteous. is not righteous. He's not completely guilt-free. He isn't a righteous man. But between the two anointed kings, both know that the other is anointed by God. Only one of them won't kill the other. David is the righteous king of the two of them. Saul has no qualms about killing David any chance he gets. Well, Saul and David, of course, they're long gone. They're in ancient history now. They're no longer around. But today we still have an anointed king. We have King Jesus. And so for us, sitting here, in a sense, we're in the same situation. Everything comes down to how you treat the anointed one. How do you treat the anointed one? Are you In his camp or are you against him? That's the only two sides. I reckon David spoke for all time when he said those lines, as the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly strike down the enemies of the anointed. God will strike down the enemies of the anointed. Either his day will come and he will die or he'll go into battle and perish. In other words, David's saying God is in control. God will judge. How will he judge? Well, how you respond to the anointed. Like Nabal, you could die without notice, some terrible death. Or you could live on a long life in rebellion against God. Either way, you still have to face the God that will judge. David had this form of righteousness that God accepted. Saul didn't. But today jesus offers a righteousness that is far better than what david could possibly have so if you trust jesus if you are humble and recognize you need his kingship then god will consider his righteousness as yours god will consider his righteousness his anointed one's righteousness as yours now that's quite amazing if you don't think it's amazing then maybe you don't understand. Maybe you think I'm just saying Christian mumbo-jumbo and I'm just carrying on saying Christian things. If you don't understand that God's righteousness can be given to you in Jesus, find out how. Make sure you do. If you don't understand, find out how. And I know Troy would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you about it because God is offering his righteousness to you. And that means when he judges, you're in the clear. Well, we've binge-watched three 1 Samuel episodes today. I hope it's been exciting for you. We've just worked our way fast. We haven't got all the details, so go back and read. Uh, next week, we come to the conclusion, the sort of series finale, what's going to happen? Now, a little preview is David will kind of get his way. He will be vindicated at the end. But we have to wait and see. you have to come back next week to find out how. Uh, like any good t- TV show, it's an exciting finish. But for us, God vindicates David, but he also vindicates us. We've been taught here today that we are not God. You are not the hero of your own life. It is not all about you. It's actually how you respond to him. Now, he is worth trusting as the judge, and you can leave everything in his hands if you trust in Jesus. Our response as we walk away this week is to serve this anointed king. That's what we should do serve this anointed king. And there are three quick examples we've looked at today. How do we serve this anointed king? By radically loving our enemy and praying for those who persecute you. Try doing that this week. By being Abigail's to each other. In other words, helping each other stay on track when we do go off track. And of course, being willing to hear people as they tell you that you've gone off track. And thirdly, by sharing the truth about Jesus' righteousness David was concerned about having that righteousness from God. We should be concerned about people having that righteousness of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the righteousness that comes in Jesus, that you might declare us right with you. May we be radically transformed and live lives where we can be people who do love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. May we be humble enough when we do do go off track to hear correction. And may we do this for your glory and looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and we will have our great vindication. In Jesus' name, amen.